Yeah, uh, this was when Jack was going through some uh, self-injurious behavior, which he has occasionally struggled with, and this was um, during a particularly rough time. So, dear God, I'm afraid. I've always believed this: uh, the world is broken and that you didn't break it, that you're the great restorer, that your son came to make all things new. This has been my conclusion after years of study and thought, but I have to admit I'm biased on this point because I desperately want to believe it. I need to believe that you are truly wholly good, that you don't desire innocent children to live frantic and bruised, that you don't lock up a boy's future behind impaired speech centers in the brain. I don't know how to help my son. I don't know how to pray. I can't just pray heal my son because I don't even know what that means anymore. I don't know what anything means, so I won't pray anything too bold for now. Instead, I will just remind you that your name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Come close, Emmanuel. Prince of Peace, draw near to my son and give him rest. Amen. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. Today I'm excited to introduce a man who grew up in the piney woods of East Texas and is currently an associate pastor of Christ Center Church in Junction City, Oregon, and that's near Eugene. He has served on staff for many years with Youth with a Mission. He's been married for nearly 20 years and has five amazing children. He has his passion for writing, and we're going to talk about his book a little bit later, And he is very creative and a visual storyteller. In fact, he often speaks about the intersection of faith and special needs due to the fact that he has a son on the autism spectrum. And so I'm excited to introduce to you Mr. Jason Haig. Jason, are you ready to share your story of hope? I am. This is awesome. So I'm excited because during this Autism Awareness Month, I thought it would be great to interview someone else who has a child on the autism spectrum. And I've been uh, following Jason for several years on Facebook. And when I reached out to him, he said, yes. So here we are. And we're going to talk a little bit about his son, Jack, and his book, Aching Joy, which I highly, highly recommend. It's amazing. And I really related to it because I feel like we were on a lot of the same journey, me with my sons on the autism spectrum and Jason with his son also on the autism spectrum. So this is going to be a great interview. (laughs) So, So Jason, let's start off talking about Jack's diagnosis. Why don't you take us there to how he started out and how he changed? Yeah, our story with Jack is is one of those – um, it's not it's not everybody's autism story, but you hear it a lot of, of uh, a child developing fairly normally for the first couple of years and then uh, everything going away. And that was that was pretty dramatic for us. He was a, a very lively and interactive uh, child. And um, but when he was about one and a half to two, he just 
started to drift. Um, and uh, I didn't even notice it at first. We lived in a really beautiful place. And, and so he would take walks with us all the time. And he was just all interested in his surroundings. So it, it didn't even occur to me that he wasn't interacting with us very much anymore mm-hmm. um, until my, my friend Nathan said, you know, I don't think I've ever made eye contact with Jack before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started paying attention and it started worrying me because I realized, wait a minute, this is true. He's not noticing other people. And then he started to notice us less and less. And uh, so, you know, we were we were sure that this couldn't be autism. This had to be, you know, something else. And so we're doing a bit of research here and there. And then, you know, he'd have little gains and we would say, oh, good. See, everything's totally fine. And then uh, and then they would just go away. And um, it was my mom who emailed me one day and said, you know, I think I think Jack has autism and I think you are in denial. (laughs) Um, And and, uh, so I laughed when she said it, which is, you know, I I suppose that's what people in denial do when they're accused of being in denial. Um, And uh, and so pretty soon we had to face the fact that, no, this is true. And so we went and we got his diagnosis um, when he was three and uh, you know, it's it's been a journey since then. Yeah. So I, I also went through a long stage of denial. I think my husband accepted the fact that Nathan had autism way before I did. And so that is a hard place to be. When the diagnosis was pronounced, um, how did that affect you? It, it was a real blow. Um, it was, you know, I grew up, um, you're in my, my adult life, you know, wait, waiting for, for my first son, we had had two daughters and I had this beautiful relationship with them and, and, uh, it was amazing. And, and my oldest, I think was five at the time when, uh, Jack is, was born. And, um, and so they sort of came out speaking Elizabethan English, you know, it was just, they, they loved to talk and they loved to interact. And, and so I just kind of took it for granted that my son was going to be able to, to do that too. And we were, we we're going to be able to share that kind of thing. But it was more than that because, you know, we came from a very, you know, a loud, excitable family who loved sports and all these things. So, you know, I'm always picturing, oh, we're going to do what we do with my family on Sunday afternoons. We're going to watch football and then we're going to go outside and we're going to play. And we're going to, all of these things I just had these visions in my head about what fatherhood was going to be like, um, especially when my first boy came along. But when that diagnosis hit, it sort of started to sink in on me, like, like all of those things that you expected, um, you're going to have to recalibrate all of that because it might never happen. And you're going to have to find a way to deal with that. And um, so I didn't react well. I, you know, if I went through that season of denial and when, the, you know, when it finally came, I'm like, okay, um, fine. And I went through a, a brief season of being angry with God and having it out with God. And then finally, I, it just, after that, it was, it was just this long season of, of sadness. Um, and it, it, there, was, there was numbness kind of, you know, in that too. It was sort of these muted feelings, except um, we you'd have these moments um, of just such sadness and, and not sure, I wasn't sure how to deal with it. I mean, it was, it really was grief. Yes. And I know a a lot of people don't like to hear that term in this kind of context because, you know, we all want to be able to celebrate our children and their uniqueness and things like that. But I wasn't, I simply wasn't able to do that. I just wasn't there. Um, And so it took me a really long time to, to work through that. Yeah. And I think it's important that you bring that up. Um, It's something I also brought up in my book. 
um, just that 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 loss of the dream of what your child is going to be like. And I know it's something totally imaginary in our heads, but we grieve that child we will never raise. And it's it's part of the process. And and I'm glad to know I'm not the only one that feels that way <laughs> or that went yeah. through that. Um, and and so I think this is something that's common among many, many people. And it doesn't have to necessarily be that their child was diagnosed with autism. Maybe maybe there was a different diagnosis that was pronounced, not only in a child, but in a family. You know, right. what if a spouse gets cancer? You know, you grieve right. the loss of that life you envisioned maybe in the future. It's going to have to change. And so I think that we need to call it what it is. It really is grief of what that image that we're losing. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think so many parents go through it, but they just don't realize that's what it is until probably they've completely gone through it and come out on the other end. And then someday they read about the grief cycle like me and go, oh my word, that's what it was. I was doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think also, you know, just compounded with that is, is the fact that, um, it, it does. It is sort of a controversial thing to mention um, as a parent. It's not at all controversial to mention when you know when there it's 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 a you know a, a disease or or something like this. Right. We understand. Uh, but you know when you're when you're dealing with um, either a mental health issue or something like autism, that kind of thing, um, it's so much tied more into identity and personality and these kinds of things. So it, it's diff we we end up tiptoeing around it because you know because we don't want to offend or or people are like, you know, you should be happy. You should be rejoicing um, ab about your your child and the beauty that they bring. But here's the thing, I, you know, I've, I've got five kids. I've been in ministry for almost 20 years. And you, in my experience, you just can't tell someone how they ought to feel. No. It doesn't work. Feelings don't operate. You know, they, they, they don't, uh, they, they don't, they don't sing on command. Um, so if you are, if you are feeling sorrow, if, if you have grief, you, you can't just like, oh, but you know, look at the beautiful things, you know, about my child and how they're different. Um, those things are there and we hope and pray that we can get past some of the, the heavy stuff so that we can see the beauty and we can see, you know, all of the, the gifts and the, and the uniqueness and all of these things, but you have to be able to deal with the thing you're actually dealing with. Yes. So you can't circumvent that grief. If it's there, you need to acknowledge it both, you know, and, you know, with God to say, God, I'm angry with you. Yeah. <laughs> if, if that's the case, if you're already angry, let's just submit it. And then with ourselves and say, I am very sad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that kind of thing is so helpful to acknowledge what it actually is and then go through the process of working through it. Yeah. And I think, I think another myth that we just need to debunk is that it is normal when you're in the grief cycle to be angry with God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I also felt that way. And you know what? He's big enough to take it. <laughs> and he loves us enough to want to help us get through that and move on towards peace. So, yeah. Well, yeah, you say he's big enough. I know I, I use the term in my book. It's like we have this upward condescension. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, God, you know, I, I don't want to tell you about my grief because I'm afraid you're going to be mad or can't handle it. And for, it's like, 
it's so silly because yes. he sees it already. Mm-hmm. He sees it. And, you know, he's seen anger before and he's seen disappointment and disillusion, all of these things. So if it's there, let's just tell him that it's there. Yeah. It's just such a weird quirk we have. I know, and right? and it, it, it is it is common in these kinds of cases to to question and say why god it's common to have these feelings bubble up and instead of smothering them i think it's much more healthy to give them to him in prayer and say this is what i'm feeling please don't strike me with lightning but here's the way that i feel right now so can you just come into this place i mean that's what the psalmist does all the way through the book so i know isn't that amazing and so and so just be be real with God, and and He will help you through it. I think that's Absolutely. that's probably just one of the most amazing lessons to learn going through that cycle, as you yes. described. You know, so that's fantastic. What other lessons have you learned um, going on this journey with Jack? Oh man, um, there's I think there's there's so many unexpected gifts that you find along the way. Um, for me, you know, this, this is a a common thing I think for special needs parents, but it's something that didn't come naturally to me. And that was to, um, to actually look for the small victories and to celebrate them. Yes. Um, because here's what happens, you know, if you're fixating, you know, my son is 13 um, now and, uh, he's still, functionally nonverbal. He has some words here and there and he'll use, you know, movie lines and things like this, but functionally he's nonverbal. He's just, Mm -hmm. he doesn't, he can't tell us how he feels, any of this kind of thing. Um, so for me, that's been the big thing of like, Lord, give my son words, get, you know, help us to be able to relate, help us to be able to have conversation. Um, and so as I pray for that thing and, and if I'm not seeing traction in there, then I can very easily just sink down and, and into that sadness again and, and go back into that depressed place. But if if I'm actually looking for the daily victories, that all changes because mm-hmm. you can continue to pray for the big thing. But, but if you can actually see the small things as well, like that is – that that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and my wife was so much better at this than I was from the beginning. She would always say, "Oh, look, like he's look what the things that he's learning." And, and I would say, "Look, did you see that meltdown he had today? Like, did you see that?" <laughs> and I really thought she was in denial. And I think you know, she might have aired a little bit more to that side, and I would have aired the, the other way. But she was right. Mm-hmm. She was seeing things, and I wasn't because I was looking so much at the harsh reality of the situation. And one of the things I, I had to come to grips with is, was, look, having intellectual integrity is a really big deal to me. Like, um, it, I want to say things as they really are. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I want to say, look, this is the reality. And so that's why I was always like, look, but here's the reality. Things are hard. But there was also a, this other side of the reality that, you know what? Yeah, but some things are really good. Mm-hmm. Even in the midst of the hardness. So let's look for those things as well. If you're gonna, if you're gonna talk about how hard things are. Then, then do that. But you've got to bring the other side as well, because that's every bit is real. So my wife was better at those things, and then we started just—I started being able to open my eyes a little bit and say, "Huh? Would you look at that? Would you look at the way he just waved to me when he got on the bus? Mm. Hey, that's really great. That's a victory today, and I need to treat it as such. I can't go on and say, "Oh, woe is me. Everything is terrible," because not everything is terrible. Some things are super hard, yes, but some things are also good. Yeah, I love that. And and so 
probably a good summary of what you just said is continue to pray for those things that you're hoping he will gain, but also pray that you can see the small miracles. Absolutely. I love that. There's so much wisdom in that because um, even in the darkest times, we can see tiny miracles in our lives if we're looking for them. Absolutely. No, that's that's fantastic. Um, is is there any other lesson that you learned that you would like to share? Uh, I think <laughs> I, I never realized how much I needed people uh, before this. Um, and I was a people person, but I didn't realize like, no, you have to you can't do this by yourself. Uh, and I, I think uh, in this day and age, so much of the pop psychology is all about, you know, you can do this. You are made for this, you know, this kind mm-hmm. of thing of, of whatever it is. You can, you know, climb every mountain, blah, blah, blah. Yes. And um, the thing that I've realized is, no, this thing is actually just too big for me. Like, I can't carry this on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I actually really need community in my life. I need people. And, you know, early on in that dark stage, in that depressed time, my wife would always say, hey, the guys are going out. Why don't you go with them? I'd be like, I, I don't want to do that right now. I'm fine. And uh, she's like, you know what? You need to go. Go. And, and the times that I heeded that, I, I never regretted it. I was always like, oh, wow, that was – you're right. I did need that. Um and uh, so just having friends around, having other people to be able to talk to and spill – just vent to uh, was was so necessary, and our you know our church community became that for us. There were just the the we do a lot of speaking on on this kind of thing now, but they were the model of like how to embrace a family going through peculiar kind of difficulties. They were amazing, and uh, how people try to do this kind of thing without community, I don't understand, and I. I I wish that everybody could experience what we have because it was beautiful. Yeah, that is so true. We learned something similar as as we were raising Nathan um, and Jacob. It takes a village. And mm-hmm. I really don't think God meant for us to go through all of this on our own. It, Like you said, it is too heavy. And so mm-hmm. we pray for God to help us. And how else is he going to help us if not through the people right. that surround us? You know, <laughs> So he's right. going to send people to answer our prayer. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that is that is so true and so wise. And and I love you. You talk a little bit in your book about it being too big and more than you can handle. Um, and so I love when you dive into that um, because it, it is it's often yeah. too big for us to handle. Um, right. So it's good. God doesn't leave us alone. <laughs> um. Let me ask you, you have some really sweet, I think you read a letter once in your book. Um, I'm seeing if I can find it. Uh, that really, really touched me. Um, is it the, the letter to God? Dear God, I am afraid, that one. Yeah, is that what you're talking about? Yes. Do you mind reading that for us? It's on page 135, yeah. 136 of your book. Yeah, uh, this was when Jack was going through some uh, self-injurious behavior, which he has occasionally struggled with. And this was um, during a particularly rough time. So, dear God, I'm afraid. 
I've always believed this uh, the world is broken and that you didn't break it, that you're the great restorer, that your son came to make all things new. This has been my conclusion after years of study and thought, but I have to admit I'm biased on this point because I desperately want to believe it. I need to believe that you are truly wholly good, that you don't desire innocent children to live frantic and bruised, that you don't lock up a boy's future behind impaired speech centers in the brain. I don't know how to help my son. I don't know how to pray. I can't just pray heal my son because I don't even know what that means anymore. I don't know what anything means, so I won't pray anything too bold for now. Instead, I will just remind you that your name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Come close, Emmanuel. Prince of Peace, draw near to my son and give him rest. Amen. I'm going to get cherry just hearing you read that. I love the emotion behind that because you can feel your sorrow and your grief and the lack of understanding. And I think that's how we often feel in life. You know, when God gives us a problem that is too big for us to handle. Yeah. And so I'm thankful that you shared that. Yeah, I actually read that um, in a sermon. Um, and uh, I, I just completely broke down on stage. I, <laughs> it was, it was uh, pretty ugly. <laughs> But it's real. Um, yeah, yeah. And the way, you know, people responded, uh, you know, my my church responded. I had a couple of the elders that came and got on both sides of me there. And, and people just like embraced, embraced us, embraced me so much that day. And it really bonded us um, together. But you're right when you say it's too big for us to handle. And it makes me think of that cliche that we all hear in this realm that God never gives you anything you can't handle. And it's just not true. Uh, it's, no. I, I just don't even know where it comes. I mean, no, it's a, it's a weak attempt at uh, the Corinthians verse about, yes. you know, not being tempted beyond what you can bear, but this is not what we're talking about. Um, so it, 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 you know, going through things like this, going through all kinds of things, it's just bigger than we can handle. So, what are we going to do about it? Um, we we need to. That's what we need to cry out to God, and we need to have our 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 communities come around us and add strength uh, to us because we we just were not meant to live this life alone. I think this also speaks to the importance of being real when we are suffering. So often in our society, you know, people ask, "Say, hey, how you doing?" And our answer, I'm fine. Fine. I'm fine. But when we really open up, I think that's when people begin to know how to help us. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so absolutely. I think that's probably one of the lessons I learned reading that beautiful letter you wrote there is it's important to let people know how we're really doing Especially Absolutely. if we're praying for help. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. we got to let them know, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think this is – this can be tricky because everybody wants to um, to have a community that understands them. And that's actually really, really difficult because even, even those who are raising a special needs child, for instance, they might – 
still have completely different experiences than than I do with Jack. So even if we're walking parallel paths, you're never going to fully understand one another. Um, So because of that, because it's so hard to find people who truly get it, um, a lot of times, uh, you know, families like ours end up not actually finding community because Mm -hmm. they can't find that perfect person or that perfect group. Um, And uh, so You know, it's. I I think. I think. uh, um, In order to get that community that we desire, you have to open up and share. You have to be able to say, "Listen, I know you might not be able to relate to this, so I'm just going to tell you, this is what's going on, and this is really, really hard." Um, In other words, looking for people who quote get it, I think sometimes is overrated. Mm. Um, I mean, it's great when you can find it. Don't get me wrong. And I'm all for support groups. And some of the best, you know, friends we have are people who, who have gone through something like this and we can relate with, but I have a whole bunch of other friends that have way different trials and hardships than me. Um, but they listen mm-hmm. and, and, and that, ha- that has been a- an absolute lifesaver, um, because they know how to be there for me because I actually share, you know? So I, I think you're exactly right. We have to be able to open up and tell people where we're actually at. And if we don't, we're going to miss out on community. So I think we need to adjust our expectations sometimes. Does that make sense? Yes. We need to adjust those expectations. Like you're not going to find someone who fully, completely gets it. Um, and if you do, God bless you. Good I know, for right? you. I really am happy. <laughs> but you might not find that. So, you know, I have dear friends I, I always think of who are, are foster parents and they deal with all kinds of really difficult stuff. And I love it when they tell me about it. I can't say, oh, I know exactly what that's like to, to pour your love onto a child that you might not even be able – you know, that, that's not going to be there for very long and to have your heart broken again. And I don't know what that's like. Mm-hmm. But I so love that they tell me because that's how community is formed. It's sharing those stories. So I think it's so important that that we actually open up and say, you know, I just want to tell you what this is like. Can you can you share this with me? Can you share this burden? Can you help me carry this? Um, and can you help? Can you celebrate this victory with me? Um, I, I think that's that's beautiful community when that can happen. Yes, it is. That so we're grateful for people, <laughs> for good people yes. that God places in our paths. <laughs> We are going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll have Jason tell a little bit about a breakthrough they had with Jack and a viral video that Jason was able to make. So stay tuned. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson, will be released April of 2019 to celebrate Autism Awareness Month. This book took me 10 years to write, and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I invite you to check out my website, TamaraKAnderson.com, and sign up for my twice a month newsletter. Doing this was going to give you the inside scoop on how you can get a free electronic copy of my book during the month of April. So sign up today and hope on. 
you know, you you shared in your book the story of Jack and having a breakthrough with him uh, reading mm-hmm. a book. Yeah. Why don't you share a little bit of that breakthrough and what it meant to you? The, you know, as I alluded to before, the the cry of my heart was that we would be able to have connection um, and that he would understand our relationship. And for years, it just seemed like he he didn't. Um, I would kind of go through the motions and I would, you know, take him to school every day and um, I'd hold his hand as we walked around to the front entrance and come in, you know, and I try to talk to him and he would just, you know, kind of mumble something, not you know, not say anything. And we just have these daily routines. I give him his bath and, you know, try to play with him. He's just not interested. Um, and, uh, so that always, you know, even though he was gaining in some ways, it always just stung. And so we just continue to pray, Lord, you created us for relationship. Um, and I would love for him to understand how much we love him, how much his family loves him, how much I love him. And, um, so, that just seemed to go unanswered for a really long time. And uh, one day he brought a book home from the library and it was this little board book um, with two penguins on it. And, and it was called I Like It When. And it was uh, – he was – uh, I think just about to turn eight at the time. And it was probably a book for like three or four year olds, you know, uh, kindergarten maybe at the latest. And um, so he he had tried to sneak it into his backpack because he liked it so much. And his teacher said, you can check it out. Go ahead and take it up, which in itself is really funny because he, he doesn't ever get that excited about that kind of thing. And so um, he brought it home and, uh, and started uh, making this comment. And my wife texts me. She's like, you've got to come home like and see this. So um, I came, I think it was in the middle of the day, I rushed home. I'm like, okay, what's going, what is this all about? And uh, so here he is, he's, he's laying up in his top bunk and he's got the book open and he's just laughing, looking at this book. He's just mm-hmm. laughing and laughing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I come over and go, well, hey, what, what, what's up, bud? And uh, this book on, on every page, it has a big penguin and a little penguin. And there, it's just like daily kind of stuff. Like, um, you know, it shows them walking and holding their fins together. And um, is it fins? What do they have? Wings, I guess. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it says, I like it when you hold my hand. Um, and so in every one, there was a different page. And he's looking, he's laughing. And then he points to the little penguin and then to the big one and says, Jack and Daddy. Oh. And then he flips the page and it's like, I like it when we splash about and it shows the big penguin giving the little one a bath. And, and he says, Jack and daddy. And he flips to every page and sees these scenarios that we actually shared mm-hmm. and says, Jack and daddy. And he's just laughing. Cause he's just like, Hey, look what I see in this. This is this exactly the stuff that we do. And I am just in a puddle of tears because he had never used any conceptual language like that ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, here he is giving a metaphor. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> I see Here we us, are. <laughs> and uh and so that that was um a massive massive thing um for me and our relationship. I don't know how much it meant to him. I know I think it did mean a lot to him because he's he's had a thing for penguins ever since then. <laughs> but um it was uh, it was such a huge thing for me because I realized God had had answered my my biggest prayer. Uh, which was, Lord, help him to understand that relationship. And he was showing me right there, oh, yeah, Dad, I, I do. I see us. This is who we are right here. I see all the things we do, and I think it's awesome. And that is so amazing. I know the moments that um, I feel like I'm really connecting with our nonverbal son, Nathan, 
they're few and far between, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so the miracles, when they happen, we have to cling to those as, okay, this is an answer to prayer. This is maybe something that I needed more than he did. <laughs> right. But it's right. good to know that, I don't know, I can often look in my son Nathan's eyes and see that there's so much going on in there that it's almost like they're trapped in their own little bodies that it, it they can't they can't express it they can't get it out and i love that your jack quotes movies because that's what my nathan does as well and so sometimes oh, nice. we can glean what what he's thinking and feeling by the quotes that he's saying and so we have to really pay attention oh wait what right. did he just say um <laughs> and and just try to figure out oh i think he's sad right now <laughs> you know yeah. or or he's happy or he wants to go home or whatever it is but it, isn't, isn't it great to be able to decode those things oh, though yes. <laughs> it's like celebration sets off in the household <laughs> i know it really is decoding though isn't it <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah absolutely <laughs> trying to figure out oh this is what he's telling me here and sometimes right. I, I, one of my son Nathan's favorite books when he was little, and even to this day, he'll still pull it out. And we've gone through actually several versions of the book because he'll read it until they fall apart. And then I have to buy a new one. But is the Berenstein Bears and the Spooky Old Tree. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just simple little children's book. You know, it has like one sentence on each page. But at the very end of this book... These little kids have gone through the spooky old tree. They run home to mom to save them. And and it says, home again, safe at last. And mm-hmm. so he will quote that if we're out and about. That he, home again, safe at last. He wants to go home. <laughs> you know, yeah. he feels. Yeah. And so he feels that sense sometimes when we leave the house that it's crazy and scary and he wants to go home. And so he'll quote the book. So it's neat when you can find these little clues of how they're trying to communicate with you. And it, and it is, it's, it's an answer to prayer. Yeah, no question. That is awesome. Um, so the way I found you online was through a video that you made about your son, Jack, and it was at the ocean. And I know it yeah. went viral. But would you mind telling us a little bit about that? And we'll be sure to include a link to it in the show notes so people can watch it because it is so moving and powerful. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, 2016. Um, I had just wrote this poem and um, I, I don't really know. I was just walking around listening to some music one day and it this, this, just sort of came to me as I want to express how I feel about my son and I want to show people. Um, and so I went down with uh, my friend Robert, um, who is a photographer and a composer. It's really great when you have friends that are so talented. I know, right? Um, <laughs> and so I said, hey, can you help me film this thing? And he had just gotten this drone, and so he was super excited to put this up in the air. And and uh, so um, I wanted to express um, my – partly, of, you know – sort of kind of a manifesto of this is the way that I feel about all these online discussions. I, I get so – and arguments, I get so sick of them. You know, like arguments over language. Is he autistic or does he have autism? That kind of thing. Mm. It, it, I, I Like I know those are valid and, and important conversations many times. So I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Um, but it, it's just – so much of that is confusing. 
Mm-hmm. And, and then so much of autism in general is confusing. And so much of what my son goes through of having these regressions, it, there's so much mystery and there's sadness and there's beauty at the same time. Yes. And so I just wanted to sort of express all of that of like, ah, I don't know. I don't understand all of this. I'm tired of all of this. And, uh, but I want you to know my son that I love you like above all things, like, <laughs> are, are you, you know, uh, uh, what's, what's the name tag you need to wear? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do all these waves mean of, of your, your gains and your losses? I don't know. Um, you know, are you normal or should we celebrate? The, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say about this, but here's what I know is, is, is that you loved. And, um, so we went out to the beach and, and we filmed it. Um, actually this is kind of crazy. We filmed part of it and, um, and, and my friend Robert, he, he got his finger stuck in his drone and it almost broke his finger. We had to shut the whole filming down and drive like, uh, you know, an hour and a half back home. And I was thinking we did not get everything. This is so sad. And then he almost lost all the footage, all of the, you know, everything, <laughs> everything, everything's crashing like crazy. We didn't get as much footage as we needed anyway, but everything that we had crashed and nothing was saved. And we're like, what is going on? And, uh, and so I'm talking with my wife and then with his wife, Wendy, and they're both like, you know what? I am not one to like talk quickly about like spiritual warfare, things like that. Cause some of that gets so overplayed. Right. They said, I think we need to press into this because I think that this is going to be this is going to be a, a much bigger deal than we realize, and I think we absolutely need to go out back out to the coast tomorrow. It's a long drive, but back out to the coast and do it again and get the rest of this footage. And so we pressed in and we're like, okay, fine. We we're so tired, but we drove out again. We filmed it again, and this time um, everything worked, and then all the other footage was restored. Nothing was lost somehow, oh. and then uh, so it was really crazy. And when we finally put it out. Um, it uh yeah it just caught fire immediately, um and it was it was got like a, a million views in in four days or something like that, and which was a big you know especially a big deal because I I didn't have a big following or anything like that so it just it caught on the traditional viral way and um and the coolest thing is that people started in in the the thread on that video started posting pictures of their children um, and saying, this is my son and he's beloved too. Um, and so there are like thousands of comments and, and, and uh, uh, beautiful pictures of these lovely children. And, and uh, so every once in a while it, it starts circulating again, just yesterday, because Autism Awareness Day, it started circulating again. And, and it's really cool and beautiful to see. The thing that I have heard so many times from it is, oh, it was so sad but it was so hopeful and joyful at the same time. Um, and so that having that sort of combination of like, yeah, this is hard, but it, it's it's beautiful. Um, and that's sort of where the book, um, Aching Joy, and that the title sort of came from of, you know, this this bittersweet reality that we're in. And if we can embrace the aching, if we can embrace the hard times, we can also embrace the beauty. That was a really long answer. <laughs> no, I love it. And I'm so glad that you dove in and gave us some of the details because it is – an incredible movie and it moves you um and it's i'm sure it moves more than people that are just on the autism spectrum but it it kind of gives you a glimpse into what life with these kids is like mm. you know mm-hmm. and so i think that's what makes it so relatable and and you're right it does go perfectly with your title of aching joy of your book 
Um, yeah. Just incredible, heartfelt. They're loved, they're cherished, and they're unique and different, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's so fantastic. Well, do you have a favorite Bible verse you could share that has gotten you through your tough times? Yeah, I, I hang out in the Psalms a lot, um, mm. and because uh, there's just so there's so much, uh, you know, expressing the rawness and expressing the beauty, expressing the longing. Um, so, um, but. Uh, in in this season, you know, one of the things that, that just can't, kind of became a summary for me was was actually not in Psalms. It was in Romans, uh, Romans twelve twelve, which is rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Um, and uh, so having just having those things, having hope and tribulation, you know, having rejoicing and hard times being there and it's just be present in all of it. You know, be present. Don't skip over the joy. Don't skip over the hard times. Be present and be present in talking to God about all of it. Um, so I think that verse sort of summarizes my journey in many ways as I didn't know how to do that early on. And I'm still on my journey. I'm actually on a journey now of of embracing joy more and, and under trying to understand more what does joy look like and does joy always have to have pain in it? You know, what about sometimes about just pure joy? These are new, you know, things that I'm still trying to discover as I go forward. Um, but I love that verse, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. It's perfect. It's a perfect theme for life, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's pretty great. Yeah. I mean, and um, and it's important to cling to hope even when you can't see it, trusting that God does see it. Yeah, that's pretty important. Um, when you mentioned being able it, do you have to have the sorrow to have the joy it, it reminded me when i was a teenager one of my friend's grandparents told me that emotions are kind of like a pendulum yeah and and if you swing one way and feel great joy you also have the capacity to swing the other way and feel great sorrow so the greater the sorrow the greater the joy I like that. And and I really liked that comparison. I'd never thought about emotions that way before, but I found I've found that to be true as I've gone through life and experienced greater sorrows than I had felt when I was a teenager. And yet I've also felt greater love and hope than I felt when I was a teenager as well. So, I think as we go through life and experience these great hard things that drag us through the depths of sorrow and despair, we have to remember that that pendulum will also swing back the other way right? and, and cling right. to that hope because sometimes we are on that sorrow side of the pendulum for a while. Right. Darn it Absolutely. all. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, we we think that we can protect ourselves by becoming a little bit numb. But when we do that, we miss out on the beauty. I think that's a. I think that's a great a picture. That pendulum. Yeah. I think that's really good. Um, you know, one of the the things I say in my book is is that you can't numb one side of your heart only. Mm. Um, and I think that's what I tried to do early on: is sort of numb that pain and mute everything. And then what that did is it numbed everything. I was mm. like, okay, I'm just not going to feel. 
um, then I'm not, I'm not going to be able to rejoice, you know, like rejoice in my other kids, um, even, or rejoice in my family, rejoice in the things that God was doing. Um, just even rejoicing in, in simple good times. I wasn't able to do that because I had numbed my heart. Um, and, uh, and it was as I was able to experience more pain that I was able to like experience more beauty. So, um, I think that's, that's a really good picture. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, and feeling numb is a really good description of how it feels sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're not alone in feeling that way. <laughs> right. But, but I had somebody else tell me, and I can't even remember who it was, to, that it's important to lean into the pain yeah. and feel it fully. Um, because it's real. <laughs> and it's a part of living and learning. And it may not be what we want to feel right. at the time, but it's, it's real. So, yeah, yeah. I, it's not what we want. I mean, it seems so counterproductive. And again, you have to fight through some of the other voices that are telling you, you should just be happy. What are you doing? <laughs> and like, this happens in the church too. Like, no, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Right. That's right. <laughs> I'm inside out. Remember this one, I'm inside, outside, upside down. I'm happy all the time. Yeah. Um, we used to sing that in Sunday school. Yes. And I'm like, man, why didn't we sing that song? Like our kids should sue us for religious malpractice. <laughs> that is just not true. There's great sadness in this world. And we're just going to have to know how to deal with that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you debunked that myth too, because I think, I think growing up, I felt if I was just good enough, and followed God as best I could, that it would all be happy. And so right. I think when I crashed after Nathan was diagnosed, um, I was like, wait, this isn't how it's supposed to work. But but then you <laughs> go back and in the scriptures and I'm like, okay, where's proof of that? And it's, there's nowhere. <laughs> you right. read story after story in the scripture of person after person who goes through hard times. I mean, think of poor Joseph in Egypt alone. Holy oh. smokes. <laughs> yeah. Know. You know what I mean? Absolutely. There's a man who went through a lot of hard things, you know, and right. and he was good and he was faithful and obeyed everything his dad said. And so <laughs> I think once I studied in the scriptures to try to find, okay, where does it say if I obey God that everything's going to be hunky-dory? It's not there. <laughs> right. In fact, Jesus tells us right, in this life you will have trouble. Mm. You know, I, it's it's just it's right there, and like that that certainly played out in Jesus's life. That played out played out in you know you know according to tradition, eleven of the twelve disciples were martyred. Yes. So like this life is full of difficulties. We have to be able to face that, and, and we have to be able to face it in ourselves and say, okay, this is hard. I'm just going to say this is really really hard. This isn't the way it turned out. And I have to know how to move on. And the way you move on is by dealing with it, admitting it's there, working through it with God, working through it with yourself. Like that. it's just the only way. Otherwise, you're going to be living in like perpetual disillusionment. Mm. And, and that's just not fun. It's not fun. Certainly not fun for people around you. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I love that this is where our conversation has taken us because it's so true of life. And so the point is, well, some people might then question, well, why should I believe at all? You know, how, why, what do you tell people that if I'm going to have hard times, why should I even believe in God? Well, how, how would you answer that? Oh, man. Well, I, I, I guess part of it is that it's not all about me. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not all about, you know, this current present moment. Um, you know, if I, if I want to believe something just so I can be happy and not experience hard times, there are better ways to do that. Um, than you know, and then believing in God, you can, let's make lots of money and let's try to preserve ourselves and let's surround ourselves with comfort and insulate ourselves from sadness. Like you can do that. <laughs> um, but is that, are you living according to reality? I don't think so. I, I still believe because I think the Christian faith um, has the the truest description of the narrative I see all around me, and that that uh, we have we were we were built for love, we were built for relationship, we were built for beauty and life, and all of that has been damaged, um, and so we experience deep deep pain. But Christ has come; He's come for us. He's given us a taste of redemption, and He is He is uh, restored restored us. And and now that process of restoration is going to go on and one day it's going to be complete. So that means one day everything uh, that has, uh, uh, every injustice is going to be turned around. And one day the things that hold my son back are going to be gone. And he's going to be able to speak and sing and rejoice and say everything that was on his heart. And until that day, we move on and we press forward and we play a part in that restoration. The Christian faith gives me that narrative and it matches everything around me. That's why I believe. It's not because it, it, it gets me through every little second or makes me feel better. Sometimes it makes me feel bad. Sometimes it prohibits me from doing things that I would kind of like to do. <laughs> and it's not about that. It's not about the happiness. It's about reality. It's about there really is a God up there who has deep love and plans for us. And he really, his son really did give himself in redemption for us so that we can uh, be with him forever uh, together. That's what I see around me. That's why I still believe it's certainly not tied very well to my happiness all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. And and I too um, have found myself at times looking forward to that day when I can speak to my Nathan and we can talk and have a normal conversation. Yeah. And um, autism won't hamper him anymore. Yeah. And so I think that is that is what gives me the hope to keep going. Is yeah. I, I look forward to that day with such joyful anticipation. I really do. Like, I'll get teary if I talk about it too much. <laughs> I know. I know. But, and I think that's right and good for us to hope for that day, you know, yeah. because I think with, you know, like how much does he want to say to you? You know, yeah. and you said before you can see it in his eyes sometimes like yeah. he wants to say, you know, there's more there. And I, I, I experienced the same thing with Jack. You know, you look at him and there's something there and he wants to be able to let it out and he can't. His body will not cooperate. And that's not always going to be that way. No. So it's right and good for us to hope for that day. You know, I had a, a chapter in my book called um, uh, The uh, uh, the In-Between Country when I, I talk about that. And it was the only part of the book that I wept while I was typing mm. <laughs> um, was just imagining my son being free of all of, of all of that, of his anxiety, his extreme anxiety, his OCD. All of these things that hold him back. And one day he is going to be free of that. Um, and and I, I have great hope and great faith that that day is going to. Oh, that's like a perfect note to end on. I mean, how can we top that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. Well, Jason, you have been so, so kind in sharing so much with us. How do people connect with you? Uh, because I know this message is going to resonate. 
Yeah. Um, easiest way probably is on my Facebook uh, writer page. It's uh, Jason Haig, uh, last name H-A-G-U-E, uh, Jason Haig Writer. Um, or uh, my website is jasonhaig.com. And certainly I can find my book on Amazon or anywhere else. Just look for Aching Joy. Perfect. That is incredible. Well, there you have it, folks. Cling to hope, cling to joy, and you'll make it in this life. Thank you, Jason, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember God loves you.